So excited to be here with you guys this morning and just be honest, so excited about this word. Um, man, isn't God good? Thank you, three people. We believe it. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that encouraging if you're here for the first time? <laughs> man, isn't God good? Man, I, I, I don't know about you, but I like, I like believe that in the inward parts of me. Like, I don't, I don't just like have to woo that thing. Like, I believe that thing. And it's good. Um, I believe it every, every day, not just today. Man, it's good when God shows up in a special way. And I believe this morning, and that was just a little piece of that where God said, you know what? Just come a little closer today. And uh, man, it's so good. But this morning, we're going to be in Luke 13. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip that way. Um, I'm going to try to quit sweating up here. Um, if you're not sweating, by the way, you didn't worship this morning, I'm just saying. Um, man, it's cool when it's like 56 degrees in here and you're pouring. Um, it's probably not 56, but whatever. Um, but man, just good morning, and uh, what a good morning. You know, like some mornings you just get a little hold of that psalm that's like, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord, right? Like today, it's like, man, just grab that. That's good today. Man, I'm I'm excited. If I can quit rambling, um, we'll be in Luke 13. If I can't, you get to hear me talk for 35 minutes about stuff. You're not going to realize what I said when I get done. But um, man, let me take a breath. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, God, you're so good. I mean, it's just so good to, to meet with you, and to, I just feel like you met with us. Um, some days I just feel like I'm just singing songs, but man, today um, I feel like you just opened up the door uh, to heaven and said, just come in a little bit. And uh, God, I just thank you for that. God, I can't wait till one day you just open up that door and you just tell me to step all the way in. Um, God, just thinking about uh, all those people right now just standing around your throne, not feeling like they're missing out on anything. God, I just want, I just want to be there. Um, God, uh, it's amazing how every day you just draw me closer to those words um, of, of Paul to live as Christ. Man, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to do this thing. But man, to die, it's, it's gain, it's better. And I feel like every day, man, that just it becomes more real. So Jesus, I just I thank you for that. God, let me let me be able to say it's it's far better. I'll be here as long as you got something for me to do, but it, it's far better. And God, let me live that in such a way the people around me see it and believe it. God, this world has nothing for me. Um, I just want you. God, just show up this morning. Without you, we can't do anything. And this is pointless. But God, with you, oh man, what could you do this morning if we would just let you? God, I believe it. Raise up a church that's different, that's real, that's authentic, that loves you. Doesn't just love songs and stuff. That God, if we got to meet in a basement, will show up because they just want you. If they got to meet in a field in the snow, will show up because we just want you. And church that's not impressed by stuff because they're so in love with you. God, make us that church. God, what could you do with us then? Got to believe it. I'll, I'll let it start with me. God, I love you. Uh, amen. Man, this morning I'm so excited um, to be in this word, to be in Luke 13. But even more than that, I'm excited to start this new series. And it's, it's called Who We Are. Um, uh, the name This Is Us popped in my head, but that's like a TV show now. Um, I actually didn't know that till last week. Um <laughs> So I'm behind the, the ball on that. Uh, and that's a way better name than who we are. But um, I didn't want to copyright anything. So who we are is what it's going to be. But for the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about that, that thought, who we are. And what, what I mean by that is who we are as a, as a church, not a building. Like, obviously, we like the color gray, and we have lights and stuff like that. But that's not who we are. Um, that's just the place we meet, right? 
and that can change and it's okay if it changes like amen god change it if you want to um preferably a little bigger um where kids don't have to walk outside to go to to children's church that would be amazing um but um man who who we are who me and you are as the church is this little group of believers in this place um see the the reality of it is um we in some ways are like all the other churches right like we talk about well i mean i hope all the other churches talk about the gospel um <laughs> if they don't man i i would change that from church to social club but um in some ways we're like them where we talk about the gospel and Jesus is the point and he's like the centerpiece and he's the 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 main event like he's the big deal um and everything else just kind of comes out of that I think most churches uh, baptize people in some way and we do those things so as I talk about like who we are and and our beliefs I'm not going to really focus on those things if you don't know we believe in Jesus around here then we've already failed you I shouldn't have to preach a message on hey we believe in Jesus and if you're part of this place and you're like man I'm involved and, and you don't know that as a thing we value here is Jesus, then <laughs> we've really failed. Um, but like what outside of those things makes us different? Why, why are we different from church blank over here and church blank over here? What makes us us? And we're just going to talk about that for the next few weeks. And I'll be honest, there's 8 million um, probably ways, but we're just going to pick a couple and the one we're going to start with this morning is, is service, that, that overflow is a church that believes in, in serving. Um, now that, I do think, makes us a little different from most churches because I'll just be honest, in most churches there's like about 14% of the people that do any kind of work in the church. And it's like under the power of the few um, that we expect God to change the many and if you look around and you're like, there's a lot of churches that don't look so good and so healthy, well, that's the reason for that. And something that we decided we valued kind of a, a while back is, is service. And I'll be honest, we value that because God values that and Jesus talks about that. Um, so uh, we, we, we are kind of guided, most of you don't know this and you haven't seen these, but you will eventually. And we're going to talk about a couple over the next few weeks. We're kind of guided in that by thing, some things we call culture statements. Um, this idea that we have a culture, there's something about us that makes us different who we are. Uh, everybody has a culture, by the way. Your last church had a culture. Maybe we never talked about it, but they had one. Um, the, the, your home has a culture. There's a way you do things, a set of things you value. Um, but, but so do we as a church. And the first one of those is that overflow serves. And I just have the culture statement. It's long, but we'll just read that. You don't have to write this down, by the way. Um, and, and the culture statement itself is that we are guides. If you've ever heard that word around here, guides are just somebody that serves in, in this house. And like hashtag, because that's the cool thing, right? Overflow serves, one word. Um, and it's, the, the statement goes like this. It's such an amazing thing happens when a person sees Jesus for the first time. When they don't simply hear a story or come to church, but when they really see him, Right? Their lives, our lives, are, are transformed. Death is defeated. Hell's hold on us is broken. And for the first time, life and freedom move into our souls and eternity breaks into our hearts. And that's powerful. This is when this happens, we are what we call or like to call forever change, right? There's some context around that. Um, seeing Jesus in this way causes us not only to fix our eyes on him, but to follow him, right? It's not just like, oh, yeah, I see you, but let's do something with that. Um, when we see him, we follow him knowing nothing could ever be greater, but it also stirs a desire in us for others to see him. It says, we believe anyone who has truly seen Jesus wants others to see him. Man, that's key right there. We believe anyone who has truly seen Jesus wants others to see him and experience him. It's through that fuel that we constantly climb Mount Calvary, not for ourselves, but so that we can lead others to the same cross that transformed us. Amen. So when we say, like, we are guides, that's what we're talking about, is we serve because we've seen Jesus, and it changed us, right? We serve because we've seen Jesus, and when you see Jesus, you want everybody to see Jesus. Maybe I should have named it This Is Us, because a lot of you talk about that show all the time. 
But do we talk about Jesus with the same enthusiasm that we talk about that show? Maybe we have a favorite band, right? Do we talk about Jesus with that same enthusiasm we talk about that favorite band? Or maybe it's a sports team. I, I don't do sports, but, you know, whatever. I'll probably watch the Super Bowl, but it's not important. Um, but do we talk about Jesus with the same enthusiasm and, and frequency that we talk about that favorite sports team? And the answer for most of us is no. We rarely, if ever, talk about Jesus. And I just kind of want to throw this out there, and I'm not trying to shame anybody because really that doesn't change anybody's life, but when we see Jesus, it's natural to talk about him. And it's natural to want other people to see him the way you've seen him. Because when you've seen the the greatest thing there is in the universe, the, the greatest thing that creation has to offer, right, because he's outside of creation. He made all of that. When you see that, you just really can't get too hopped about anything else. He's the one. So what we do here is we don't believe in volunteers. We don't want volunteers. We don't like volunteers. We actually won't accept volunteers. If you're a volunteer, we will fire you. (laughs) I I, I mean that. And then the reason for that is if you've ever been in charge of volunteers, you know that volunteers will show up when they show up and they expect you to be thankful for it right? Amen. I'll come when I come. You better be glad. I volunteered to, to do this thing, and, and I'll do that thing when I feel like doing that thing, but if I don't feel like doing that thing, don't question me, because I'm volunteered. I'm not paid to be here. You've heard that in the church, right? Well, guess what? I'm not paid to be here either. You check the bank statement of the church. I don't get a penny for doing this, but I've seen God, right? And I want other people to see him. And I'll leverage my life and my resources and my days to move people in that direction. That's what a guide is. And that's why we have guides, right? I've been up the mountain. I know the way up the mountain. And I want other people to come up the mountain. Right? And, and that's what we value in this place. We, we, don't, we, we don't value volunteers. If you want to volunteer, go to the mission. Because they'll take you when you show up. And they'll take your least best effort. And your I'm just going to do enough to get by. I'll be honest. I would stand on this stage with a guitar by myself. If that become the thing. Because I don't want bare minimum. Because that reflects in some way what we believe about God. If you'll just give the minimum. You don't really believe God's worth that much. If you'll just show up every once in a while, you don't really believe God is worth that much. And there's a world full of people that are lost that need to see, man, he's the greatest thing in the world. And you can't do that given half effort or little effort. So that's me talking, right? And you're like, well, that's cool, Brad, but that's your thoughts and your opinions. But I think Jesus actually talks about this. So we're just going to step into this morning, Luke 13, and we're just going to see what Jesus says. Because I'll be honest, my opinion is not worth anything. I'm just some guy. And if I can't back it up with what this word says, then it's not worth anything. And I'll be honest, if I ever say anything that I can't back up with this, you need to let me know. Because it's just my opinion, and opinions are not worth much. But in Luke 13, Jesus actually talks about service. And he, and he, he displays that kind of with the, the disciples. I actually think... that I'm stupid this morning. Where is it? Give me a second. This is actually why they invented Google. For pastors that didn't put the bookmark in the right place. We're all human. Get over it. (laughs) Isn't it good to know you are and I am and we both are? That's why. It's because it's John 13. And it was a 13. There we go. John 13. Jesus actually talks about service. <laughs> Luke 12. We'll do that next week. Who knows? Uh. But John 13, Jesus talks about service. And... If you see on top there, because it's a story most of us have read several times, it says Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It's a story where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And I'll be honest, like if that headline right there doesn't get it for you, um, the story's not going to probably mean too much. 
but we're going to talk about that this morning because that in itself is an amazing thing. It starts off, we just want to jump into the story right there at 13. It says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the, from the world to the Father. Now, the Passover festival, if you know anything about it, is like this Jewish festival where they get together every year and they celebrate what God did like hundreds of years ago back in, uh, back in Egypt as he rescued his people out of slavery, captivity in Egypt. It's a cool story. Actually, you've probably seen it a million times. It's part of Rugrats, like a little special. Um, that's how I relate to it, so sorry. Um, but God tells Moses, this guy, to, to go and to perform these miracles that happen to be plagues in Egypt. And through these series of plagues that he would call his people out of Egypt, that he would allow Pharaoh or he'd get Pharaoh to let his people go. And they would go and they would serve God kind of out in the wilderness, eventually making it to the promised land. And there were all kinds of plagues. He turned the Nile um, uh, into blood. He made frogs come up on the land, like a lot of frogs, and then frogs died. Mag- you get the idea, like maggots, flies, those things. Uh, it's kind of gross and pretty wouldn't want to be there, but at the end of these plagues, the last plague, um, God decides that he's going to send the angel of death through Egypt, and every firstborn of like everything was going to die. Now, that's not good news if you are a firstborn. I'm a firstborn, so that wouldn't be good news for me. And you don't really want to hear that. But God made a way in that story to rescue his people. He told Moses that if you'll take this, if you'll tell all the people to bring a lamb into your house on the 10th day, this is from Exodus 12. And yes, I know I'm right that time. Um, This is from Exodus 12. And he tells. he tells him to bring these animals into his house uh, for on the 10th day of the month. And they bring a lamb or a goat, didn't matter which one, into the house. And they would leave it in there to the 14th day. And on the 14th day, they would kill it. And they would take its blood and they would spread it on the doorpost. And when the angel of death saw the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that house. There was an option available actually to anybody. If you put the blood on your doorpost, the angel of death will, will pass over your house. What it took was belief that this blood of this lamb would save you or your family. And I think it's no coincidence here that at this moment when they're celebrating this Passover feast or this Passover festival about how God rescued his people from the blood of the lamb, Jesus knew that he was about to die on the cross. It's right there on the page. You can look at it. Isn't it cool? See, the reason Jesus knew he was about to die on the cross was not because of this festival. Actually, this whole festival was created because one day Jesus would come and he would die on a cross. It's always been about the blood of the lamb, this lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Before we ever sinned, God knew he was going to save. That's an amazing thing to me. Um, But we see that at this Passover festival, Jesus come to, to eat this meal, to celebrate this Passover with his disciples. And it said he knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. He knew that it was time for him to die, is what it's saying. Now, I don't think you get the full weight of that because I think we just think Jesus, well, he knew he was going to die, maybe didn't know how, but th- this is God in flesh, right? He knows everything. And at this moment when he was at, about to sit down at the table, he was sitting at the table under the full weight of, I'm about to be crucified. Can you imagine that, like dinner? Would that be weird? Like, this is my last meal. I'm just going to sit down, and in a couple hours, they're going to take me, and they're going to nail me to a cross. That'd be awkward dinner conversation, I believe. And, and it would be, an, 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 it'd be a weird place to just sit around at the table and think, man, I'm going to be crucified soon. See, I've never had nails driven into, into my hands. I've never experienced that. But I would imagine it was quite painful. And for the one who created everything, even pain, really, he would have to know in detail what was about to happen to him. He invented it, right? He created nails. He created flesh. He knew how all that was going to work. And he had to know, man, this is not going to be fun. But the amazing thing is he didn't decide, oh, yeah, I'm about to be killed. Let me get up from dinner, and I'm just going to take off out of here. Because he could have done that. But he sat down with his disciples. Jesus was never running from the cross. He was always running to the cross. So he sat down at dinner under the weight of, I'm about to be crucified. And then it says this. It says, having loved his own who were in the world. Now that's the disciples, but that's like everybody that would ever be Jesus's. We're his own. We're in the world. 
And at this moment, what was happening is Jesus was loving us. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end, or to the end, that Jesus loved his own to the very end, that he actively loved those that he loved that were his to the very last breath, is what he was saying. In other words, Jesus wasn't sitting there thinking, man, I'm about to die on the cross. I don't know if this is going to be worth it. He was thinking, I'm about to die on the cross, and look what God is going to do through that. I love these people. He wasn't sitting there thinking, I'm about to die on the cross. Where's the exit? Just in case, right? He wasn't sitting around thinking, man, I may want to get out of here. He was actively in this moment loving people all the way to the cross. And then John throws in this weird thing in verse 2, and it seems like it doesn't fit. It's like a, a rapid story change. It's like we break away from this scene to another scene, and it says, Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Now where did that come from, right? Like, here's Jesus, it's Passover, sitting down to a meal, thinking about the cross, loving people, and then it's like breakaway. Oh, by the way, Judas already knew he was going to betray Jesus. Now, this is true, actually, by this point in the meal, if you look back in Luke, that's where I got that from, by the way. If you look back in Luke, which I think might have been 12, but let's just not go with that this morning, because who knows. Um, If you look back in Luke, at this point in time, before they ever sat down to the Passover meal, uh, Judas wasn't just kind of contemplating selling Jesus. He had the silver on his pocket before they ever sat down. So, John here is just reminding us, setting the scene for what's about to happen. Jesus is about to sit down at the table. He's thinking about the way to the cross. He knows he's about to die, and he's loving people. And by the way, sitting around the table with him is this guy named Judas who has already sold the Lord. And Jesus was going that way anyway, right? It goes to verse 3, another quick subject change. You're like, where are these verses coming from? John, you're a rap chaser. You're schizophrenic. I don't know what's going on. And he says in 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. Now, this is Jesus. He's saying, I know I have all the authority over this situation. Jesus was not subjected to the cross. What does that verse say? He knew that the Father had given everything over into his hands. If Jesus would have said, you know what, done, Jesus could have been done. If Jesus would have said, you know what, this nail hurts, I don't want to do this, Jesus could have not done this. If Jesus would have been like, you know what, I've hung here for a couple hours, you people are making fun of me, so I'm leaving, it's bad for you, he could have done that because it says Jesus knew at this moment he had all the authority in this situation. Isn't that amazing? It says that that he had come from God. Jesus knew where he came from. Jesus was not having an identity crisis in this moment. He wants us to know that because we're not going to even believe the story if we can realize in this moment, Jesus wasn't sitting around thinking, did I miss it? Am I really the Messiah? Like, I know that I've heard the stories and I know like I believe that and I know like I can can do things, but maybe I'm just a prophet. Like, he wasn't sitting around thinking that. He knew, man, I am the son of God. I'm the creator God. In human flesh. He knew exactly who he was. He knew he'd come from God. And then look at this because it's kind of amazing. Um, It says that he knew he was going back to God. He says he he knew exactly where he was going after after this was over. He knew that he was going to die. He knew after he died, he was going to ascend back into heaven. He knew kind of the flow of what was going to go down in the next few hours. So as he was sitting under the weight of the cross, he did know this is not going to be fun. But what he also knew is I don't have to do this. How do you love your own to the very end when you don't have to, but you choose to, right? It wasn't Jesus like, oh, I just, it's too late. I can't back out. It was Jesus like, you know what? I'm the creator God and there is no cross or nails that can hold me, but I'll stay here because I love them. It was Jesus who knew, you know, I breathed the stars into space. I know exactly who I am, but I also know exactly what I came for. And I also know when this is over exactly where I'm going. And you're like, John, why did you put those things in there? Because Jesus is about to do something amazing. He's about to do something so mind-blowing. And you've read it a million times and you've just went right by it. 
He's about to do something so amazing that it would challenge our thought process if we thought about it long enough that God would even begin to do something like this. And it says in four, under the context of what we have just read, like did you even need those verses if it wasn't for that? Because I can read it without. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Skip all that stuff to verse four. So he got up. Did you need those two verses? No, you didn't. Except for God's about to do something crazy here. So as we read it, let's read it with verse two and three in our brains. It says, so he got up from supper. And he laid aside his robe. He took off this robe, this garment. And he took a towel and he tied it around himself. If you're the disciples, you're like, what is about to go down, right? We've never, didn't pass over like this before, right? Like Jesus had the robe on and then he got up, took the robe off and then he put this towel on. But what Jesus is doing is he's physically showing us in, in John 13 what, what it says that Jesus does in Philippians 2, right? Remember that, make this attitude yours. Make the attitude of Christ Jesus yours, who coming in the form of God did not grasp equality with God or use it for his own advantage, but instead he humbled himself and became a servant. Jesus wasn't just going to let somebody write that verse later on. He was going to live that verse. And, and I love this because what we see here is, is a physical representation of what Jesus already decided to do in heaven. That Jesus stood up in heaven and he took off that robe of light. And he laid it aside and he put on this towel of flesh, right? Not even comparable. He put on this, this, this vessel of, of a slave, heavenly and then in 13 we see him do it physically it says he he got up from supper and he laid aside his robe and he took on a towel and tied it around himself he took off the teacher's robe and he put on the slave clothes and it says in five next he did this crazy thing he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him See, it just happened again, didn't it? It just flew right by. Do you get what's happening here? Jesus knowing exactly who he is. Not sitting around thinking, maybe I've missed it. Jesus knowing that he has all the authority. There is no way I should be the one doing this. And Jesus knowing I'm about to go sit on my throne in heaven. knowing that he is the most important person in that room, let alone the universe. He takes off his robe, and he puts on slave clothes, and he just pours some water, and he, he bows down at the disciples' feet. You can't wash feet above somebody. And he takes their feet, who, by the way, are not nice, manicured, or pe- I don't know which one it is. It's the one with the feet, Manny Petty, who knows? There's two. Um, but they were nasty, stinky, smelly man feet. Feet that, at best, walk around in sandals all day long in these dirt roads with whatever else happens to be in the road. Feet that probably are blistered feet, calloused feet, maybe even wounded feet. Thick with mud from sweat. And he takes these feet without hesitation. God. And he picks them up. And he takes them and he washes them and then he uses the towel that he's wearing to dry them 
I don't know if you've ever had your hands muddy, but I don't really care how much you wash them. When you dry them, some of that's coming off on that towel. So in this moment, we see Jesus is not afraid to get a little bit of their filth on his towel. Now compound that with the fact that this job is a job designated for the lowest slave in the house. This is not just anybody's job. Actually, um, if you were a Jewish slave, um, you, you weren't subjected to this. The master of the house, um, it was customary for him to provide water, but he would never get down, it would be unheard of for him to get down and wash your feet because this job was considered like the lowest job, right? And here Jesus, the highest name, takes the lowest position and he washes the disciples' feet. And you would think somewhere in the thing, right, somebody, anybody in the house would have been like, you know, Jesus, this is beneath you. (laughs) I'll, I'll do this. But we never see any of them offer, right? Actually, this is the moment. It should have been so mind-blowing for the disciples. No, Jesus, I can, I can never let you do that. That's so weird. You, you're the greatest name, and I'm not the greatest name. I should be serving you. You shouldn't be serving me. You, but you don't see any of that. Like this moment should, should literally take their breath away. Like, oh no. But apparently, John's like, well, I'm the disciple Jesus loves, brother. Let's kick some off and do it. And around the table and around the table and around the table until finally we get to verse 6. And it says, he came to Simon Peter. Now, I wonder if this was last. Because after this, we don't see anybody else get their feet washed. I'm not saying it's last. I'm just, that's in my brain. I wonder if, the, if he is last. And I wonder if that's, this is the reason. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Finally, right? Somebody asked the right question, or at least it seems like they asked the right question. Like, I don't know why somebody didn't jump in, like, first foot washing for this. But he he looks at Jesus, and he says something to the effect of, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? You're like, finally, right? Peter, you did something good, right? You're like, man, you've said a lot of dumb things, but here we are, and it seems like maybe you get it. Like, here he's God. He created everything. You're the first one that pronounces him Messiah. Maybe you're the one that gets it in a greater way than everybody else. But my problem with that is he's just allowed Jesus to wash whoever's feet went before him. So what he's not asking is, Jesus, do you think I'm going to let you wash my feet because you're so great and I'm not very great? That's not what he's asking. What he's saying is, you don't think I'm going to let you wash my feet, do you? Do you really think I'm going to let you wash my feet? I'm not, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you serve me. Now, that sounds great, but he's willing to let Jesus serve everybody else. This is actually a pride moment for him. And he's like, man, I'm the first one that pronounced you Messiah. I see it. Those jokers, they don't get it. They don't know who you are. But like, I know who you are. And since I know who you are, I won't let you serve me. Not the mentality that we're wanting to follow, actually, this morning. Because if you read on, they go back and forth about this for a minute. Now, if I was Jesus, I'd have been like, it's fine, I didn't want to touch your feet anyway, but luckily I'm not. So Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. He says, I want to wash your feet. You don't get it right now, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, you're not going to get the whole of this, but just trust me, let me serve you, is what he's saying. Now, I think... In a minute, we're going to definitely see Jesus explain why he does this. But if we think about that, I'm loving my own even till the end. 
yes, I have a real reason why I'm doing this. I want to teach you guys something. But I think what Jesus is doing is under the weight of the cross, under I'm about to leave this place, and these people are going to have to go a couple days without even knowing that I'm coming back. What I want them to know when I die on that cross is I loved you with everything I got. Can you imagine? Because in just a few hours, they're going to watch Jesus stop breathing. And you can be like, oh, they were looking to the resurrection. Well, either A, wait till Easter, or B, go read the stories. They didn't think he was coming back. They thought, it's dead, it's over. And in that moment, Jesus wanted them to know something as they sat around and they grieved. That man loved me in a way that no one else has ever loved me. Jesus says, you don't get it now, but you will in a minute. In eight, Peter answers back, you will never wash my feet, ever. Peter says again, no, not me. You will never serve me. I think this is from a sincere heart of, I don't deserve it. I don't, I don't deserve it, which I, I would agree with. No, he doesn't, and I don't, and you don't, and nobody else does. You ever heard anybody argue that? Je- I, I know Jesus would save me, but I don't deserve that. My life is just not in the place right now where it needs to be, so I'm going to clean it up, and then I'll come back. Have you ever heard anybody talk about that? This is that same heart. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus replied, if I, if I don't wash you, did you get that he dropped feet in that? Maybe we're not just talking about feet washing right here. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. What he's saying here is if you won't let me serve you, then you don't have a part with me. Now, I don't, I don't think in this moment he's talking to Peter about the condition of his feet. I think he's talking to him about the condition of his heart. Is, is foot washing really that big of a deal where Jesus would cut somebody off because, he wouldn't let them, because they wouldn't let them wash his feet? That doesn't even make sense. He's about to say here in a minute, and somebody that's bathed doesn't even need that. You guys are all clean. What he's saying is, Peter, your heart is a heart that says you can do it on your own. And your heart is a heart that it may be, it may be trying to be in an admirable way or good way is, is saying, I, I don't deserve this. But I just want you to know, if you won't let me serve you, you will not be with me. So you can say, I don't deserve it. But that's not really what I'm asking right now. I'm not asking if you're good enough that I can wash your feet. I know exactly who you are. And face to face with it. But I'm saying right now, if you, if you right now are trying to act like I can't serve you or you're too good for me to serve you or you're using some excuse of blah, 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 you can't serve me, then, then you are going to get cut off from me in that pride. And then like finally Peter says something good, right? Like we've been waiting a little bit. Um, so Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> Man, if that's what it takes, right, then take it all. I just want to say that again because, man, there's, some, there, there's something that might resonate in our hearts with that. If that's what it takes, then take it all. I'm not today just looking for you to little knock a little dust off. I'm looking for you to take everything because I want all of you. I want you to the degree I will give up everything is what he's saying. Now, I, w- I want you to hear that because I think for some of us, we like, we're, we're great with the foot washing thing. Like, we'll come down here and we're like, thank you, Jesus, serve me. I'm going to go back to my chair and then I'm done with the thing and I'm going to go to heaven and it's going to be great. But Jesus isn't concerned with just taking a, the dirt off, right? He's never been about like, ah, I just, I'll, I'll just take the, 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 the sin part, the punishment. I'll just take that and you just go do your thing. He's never been concerned with that. Actually, that's not even on the table. That's not a possibility 
I'm going to pray a prayer, I'm going to get up unchanged, and I'm going to do the church thing, or I'm going to do the radio station thing, or I'm going to try to read a little bit. That's not the thing. He said, I want all of you, or I'm not doing any of it. Like, he didn't say that right there. Go read any of the Bible. Jesus is not concerned with a little piece of you. He wants every bit of you. Maybe in this moment, yeah, he's washing feet, but we're not talking about foot washing. And Peter sees that, and he's like, you know what, Jesus, I want you so you can have all of me. And I think some of us are like, man, I'm not close to God. Well, it's because you're still holding back pretty much everything except I come to church. I don't, I don't feel God. Well, God probably doesn't feel you. Show up on Sunday. Hi, Jesus, I want everything right now. Yeah, worship doesn't work that way. Worship is a response to, I've seen you, I'm blown away, this is what I'll do. It's like uncontrollable, right? Go read the story of David dancing before the ark. It's like I'm in the presence of God and I just can't contain myself. It's not, man, if they sing good enough songs, that's not it. So Peter sees this moment and he's like, Jesus, I want you. And if it takes, if, if it takes feet to get close to you, man, I'll give you all of me because I want to be real close to you. And then in 10, he says, one who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. He's like, dude, I'm not giving you a bath. Um, but he is completely clean. And then he says, you are clean, but not all of you. Now, what he's not saying is, I didn't make it all the way around the table yet. Because if we look back at verse 2, there's a man sitting at this table who, as Jesus probably has already washed his feet, he could see the bag of money hanging off his side. And what Jesus is saying is, man, a lot of you guys believe, right? You even profess me as Messiah, somebody who I've cleaned their heart, man. They don't, they don't need me to just come back in and save them all the time. That's not really what I'm doing. Um, you're, you're clean. I'm just going to do your feet this time. But, man, there's somebody at this table, and I, I washed your feet, and, and you're, you're not clean because um, you don't believe who I am, who I say I am, and what I can do. And because of that, you sold me. You sold me. And it's, it even says in 11, right, for he knew he, he knew who would betray him. He, he knew it was Judas. He wasn't sitting around thinking, ah, one of these guys is going to do it. He knew exactly who it was. And it says, this is why he said you are not all clean. He knew what Judas was going to do, and he knew the condition of his heart. And he said, you're not clean. Your life doesn't reflect it, right? And it says that after that... Um, Jesus finished washing their, had finished washing their feet. And 12, it says, when Jesus had washed their feet, when he was done, he put on his robe and he reclined, he sat down, he was done. And again, he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? He asked him, what just happened? Oh, I know, you washed our feet, right? <laughs> he says, you call me teacher and Lord. He reminds them, I know who I am. Do you know who I am? You call me teacher and Lord. And then he says, this is well said because I am that person. I am the one who teaches you, but more than that, I'm the one who is in charge. Lordship is this idea that you're in charge of something or everything in that domain. And he says, you guys call me Lord. You know that I, I'm in charge. And that's rightfully said because, man, I am those things. And then he says in 14, so let's just think about this mind-blowing thing for a minute. So if I, your Lord and teacher, let's see, you reversed him that time. If I, your Lord, the person who's in charge of everything and your teacher, you know, I do that to you, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If I've served you and I'm the Lord and the teacher, why are you not serving each other is what he's saying. For I have given you an example. I did this to show you that you also should do just as I have done. And then he says this in 16. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master. I'm going to say that again because we need to be reminded of that this morning. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master. 
and a messenger is not greater than the one who sends him. This is what Jesus kind of wraps up that thought with. Is that, you guys, I, I just want you to get this. I am your Lord and your teacher. I'm in charge of everything. You've confessed that I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. You're about to watch that go down. You're about to see that. And here I am washing your feet, and nobody seems to be blown away by it. See, the truth of it is, like, we're used to Jesus serving, right? We see Jesus serve, like, all over the Bible. It's what he does. And I'm not saying don't be okay with Jesus serving. I think that would be the opposite of what he said to Peter, right? I'm not saying, oh, it's a bad thing that Jesus serves. Jesus should never have to serve us. That's, that's pride. Jesus has to serve us or we're dead and we're going to hell. But what I am saying is if Jesus, who's the Lord and the Master, the God who breathed out the stars, go read Colossians chapter 1. Hebrews 11, all things are created by him, for him, and through him. If, if that's the God right there that we're talking about when we talk about Jesus, one who, go read Genesis 1. Everything that was said was said by him. Go read John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Who is that? If that God would step down into this place to serve us, Shouldn't we just automatically like put ourselves in that place? If he wasn't too good, which he was, but he didn't count himself as that. How do we think that we're too good? See, but the truth is, in, in the church, we, we've become this culture that, that's really okay with Jesus serving us. Actually, we think Jesus should serve us with everything. Right? Genie Jesus I just got to rub my Bible long enough and this thing will happen or pray this prayer long enough and this thing will happen. Nothing bad should ever happen to me because if it does, heaven forbid, I'm mad and I'm leaving. Genie Jesus, who, by the way, better make sure I got a full bank account and everything I ever asked for happens within about 30 minutes because he's just like a pizza delivery man. And if he doesn't get there quick enough, I'm going to be ticked off about it. Genie Jesus, we're really great at wanting Jesus to serve us, but none of us want to serve anybody else. And Jesus looks at us and he's like, hey, that's not what I come here for. I didn't come here so you could be okay with me serving you solely. We've created a culture in the church that's really okay with being served, but we don't want to serve. And I just want you to know that's not the example Jesus left. Actually, his service should blow us away in such a way that it's like, you know what? If he, who is God, who's the creator of the universe, would come down here and serve people, I don't know that I can do anything else. I don't know that I can do anything else. I mean, we'll, we'll look at Peter and we'll be like, oh, yeah, you're full of pride, man. You're full of pride. But look at us. God, you do everything I want you to do, and I'm not doing anything you've asked me to do. And you better not ask, because I'll be offended. Because I don't have time, or I don't have blank, or blank, 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 or blanky, blank, blank, blank. I'm sure he had a lot of stuff to do in heaven when he left. I'm sure he had a lot of things he could do when he was hanging on that cross. But he didn't say, you know what, Dad? I need about six more years just to run around and heal people. And then when I get old and I don't have anything else to do, I'll, then I'll serve them. You can do that. 33 and a half years old, right in the middle of my life. I'm going to serve them in the greatest way possible. I'm going to give up not just some time or some effort or some ability. I'm going to give up my very life. I'm going to give everything I got to give because you know what? I love my own even till the very end. I know who I am. I, I'm not having an identity crisis. I know that I'm God from heaven. I know from, from 12 years old, right? We see Jesus in the temple, and he says, where did you think I was going to be? Even at 12 years old, Jesus knew exactly who he was. He didn't just become God one day. Anybody that tell you that's never read the Bible. Jesus never doubted who he was. And he lived his life in a direction of, of service. Wouldn't it have been better to just be a carpenter and not be homeless? Probably. A lot more comfortable sleeping inside than out. But that wasn't the goal of why Jesus came. He just didn't come to be comfortable. He knew where he was going. I'll be comfortable later on. Right now I come to serve. 
And somehow in the church, man, we've become so like, that doesn't really matter to me. I mean, I'm thankful, right? I don't have to go to hell. That's great. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. But, you know, like, as long as you're doing stuff for me, that's, that's the deal that I checked into when I said that prayer. And then Jesus looked at these guys, and, and I'll just be honest, it's, this is stories in here for them, but it's in here for more for us because we're in a place right now where it's like, you know what, let's not do anything. The things we have the problem with in the Bible are not usually the do not do's. It's the do's. We just flat out ignore that. Don't cuss. All right, I'll get rid of it. Don't watch those movies. Okay. Don't blanky blank blank. All right, got it. We like those. But it's the do's that God has called us to. And he looks at them and I think more heavily today at us and he says, do you not see what I did? Do you not get that? Like I'm God, creator, star breather. And I stepped out of heaven into this place for you. That's not a good deal, by the way. Took off a robe a lot and put on a servant's robe and I come down here because I love you and I loved you till the very end. I'm not begrudging that. I'm, I'm not saying I regret that. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But what I am saying is you don't realize what happened there. Because you've heard it so many times. You're just like, oh yeah, Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to serve. He never should have done that. And we should be blown away every time we hear about it. These disciples should have went nuts when Jesus bowed down to wash their feet. Oh my gosh, I can't believe he's doing this. This is so amazing. He's the Messiah. I've already professed him as that. He's the Savior. He's, he's the one that we've been talking about for all creation since Genesis 3. The prophets have been speaking of this guy, and here he is, and he's with me, and he's right here in a room with just 12 guys, and he, he's not like, man, I need a bigger platform. He's like, man, I love those 12 guys. And, and, and he comes over to me, and he took off his robe, and then he put on a towel, and then he poured water, and I was like, what are you doing, Jesus? And then he took off my shoes, and then he started rubbing my feet. Do you know how gross that is? My feet are horrible smelling. And then he was just rubbing them and rubbing them and rubbing them and rubbing them. Got, he got all the dirt off, and then he used his towel, his towel thing he was wearing. That's, that's so gross. I would never wipe somebody's feet on my clothes. And then he used this towel, and he, and, he, and he just wipes my feet off, and he dries them, and he even got them between the toes. He just, I don't know, it's weird. He loves me. And then, and then he did this crazy thing. He went to the next guy. And he did the same thing. He took the same amount of time, and he looked at him, and he loved him the same way. And then, and then he did this crazy thing. He moved, and he went to the next guy. And you know he did that all the way around the table. And then, and then Peter was there, and Peter was even trying to argue with him. Peter was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And Jesus was like, I've got to do it. And he was like, don't, I'm not letting you do it. And he was like, you know what? If you don't let me do it, you can't have part of me. And Peter finally let him, and then he did it. I would have just gave up, but Jesus did it because he loved him. And he chased him. You know how he didn't deserve that? Like, I didn't deserve it, but like he even offered him not to do it, and he still chased him. He still pursued him. He still ran after him. He still, he still did it. And then when he did his, he, he, he took the same amount of time. Even after he argued with him, he cleaned him the same way, and then he looked at him with love, and it was crazy, and I, I just can't even get my mind around it. That's what should have been going on at the table, but everybody was like, yeah, it's just Jesus. He just serves people. It's what he does. It's his job. Jesus came to serve. Amen, hallelujah, but he never should have. And the fact that I got in on that every time should blow me away. That's just John the disciple Jesus loves. Imagine Peter's story. Dude, I said, don't do it. And he said, I'm going to do it. I would have never done it, and he did it. And then, like, I, he, he even said that to me, and then I argued again. I'm such an idiot. I was like, don't touch my feet, Jesus. You're never going to touch my feet. You're too good to touch my feet. And then he was like, if I don't touch your feet, you have no part with me. And I just, I heard that, and I was like, man, I got to have that. I got to have a part with you because I know who you are. Like, I know who I am, but you are greater than who I am. And I got I to gotta have that. And then, like, he, he didn't give up on me. Like, he, he did it for me just like he did it for him. And he didn't even argue. Like, he's not an idiot. I'm an idiot. And, and he did it the same way for me. Can you believe that? 
But at the end of the conversation, they weren't like, Jesus, that was the most amazing thing in the world. I can't believe you did that. He had to point out and he had to be like, do you not even realize what I just did? Man, I wonder how many of us are going to have to step into heaven with that conversation as the lead story. Did you just not get it? Did you just not? <laughs> I mean, I, I knew who I was, but did you not know who I was? Did you just think that I'm some guy who born and died on the cross and God just let that be your thing? Or did you realize that, like, I was there in Genesis 1 and I created everything? And outside of the context of that, I stepped down into that and I took your sin on me. I took my towel and I rubbed your, your feet. I took your sin and I just got it all over me and I took your shame and I got it all over me and your guilt and I got it all over me. I was wearing that so that you could be clean. I became filthy. I died for you. Did you, did you not get that? And you'll be like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I said that prayer, man. I totally saw that. And he'd be like, no, you didn't get it. Because I didn't think I was too good to serve, and I really was too good to serve. And then here you came with, you know what, I just don't have time for that. Or, you know what, I just, I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if I can do that. Or I, I don't know if I, and you put all that stuff in there, and did you just not see it? Did you just not see it? See, the reality of it is, man, when we see it, there's no other, there's no other way to respond. And if Jesus, being as great as he is, would come here to serve, then I'm not, I'm not serving so people will see me. I'm just coming around with the, with the water and being like, do you remember? Do you remember what Jesus did? Man, I just want you to know I was there, and he washed my feet, and, and, and he's, he's God. So if, if he can do that, I can do that. Do you believe that? Because when you believe that, I need you to go over there, and then I'm just gonna I'm gonna go down here. Do you believe <laughs> Jesus came from heaven? The the God of all heaven came down here, and he like he he washed my feet. He came to serve me, and he came to serve me. So I just I, I just want to serve you. But the whole time I want you to know, like it's not me that wants to serve you. It's Jesus wants to serve you. I'm just doing it because he wants to serve you because he loves you so much. Do you believe that? Because when you do, you got you need to go over there. Because I'm just gonna go down here. Can I see this for a second, brother? And and he's gonna be like. Jesus served me. Do you, do you know me? I'm, I'm not a good person, by the way. Jesus came and he, he served me. And I just want you to know, like, he loves you the same way. He wants to serve you the same way. So he's, he's not here, but he wants you to know. I'm just going to tell you, and I'm going to serve you. And then, do you believe that? Because if you believe that, I need you to go over there because I'm going to go down here. And I'm just going to keep going, and then you keep going. And then we're, we're going to just get everybody, okay? Because the master, man, he's not, he's not, he's not less than me. And the servant, he's not greater than the master. And if the master will do it, then I've, I've got to do it. Mm-hmm. See, the reality of it is people that have seen what Jesus has done and how Jesus serves, the, the natural reaction is I, I've got to do it too. Yeah. Not because I'm trying to point you to me, I'm trying to point you to him. I, w- I would bet for some of us the reason we serve and or don't serve is, is not because we just feel like we're too good. I'll be honest, I don't feel like that's true in the church. I don't feel like it's this thing that we feel like we're too good. I feel like the problem for most of us is we feel like we don't have anything to offer. Right? I'm not going to take a poll today, but just maybe raise your hand in your heart. We're good at that. Um, Got it. Um, Maybe we could just internally think about this. Have you bought into the lie that because you can't sing or play an instrument or or teach that you don't have anything to offer? Because I don't have the visible skill, I don't have any skill. I just want to say to you today that that's that's a lie. Jesus called us to serve, not to be seen. Right. And Jesus, just so we all knew, like all jobs were important, he said, you know what, I'll start with the worst. I'm, I'm not going to start with, I come to die on the cross so everybody can recognize me and worship me forever. I'm going to start off the sacrifice Passover thing with 12 guys 
one of which is going to betray me. He doesn't deserve it. I love him anyway. I'm not going to win him, but I love him. And I'm going to scrub their feet. Now, I know it's not the same as preaching and singing, um, but it's actually like what real ministry is. Um, I'm going to start there. Because I want you to know, like, if, if that's the best you got, man, that is enough. It's actually what I've called you to. I think for some of us, we've bought into the, if it's not a big job, it's not a job worth doing. And here Jesus is saying, you know what? The jobs worth doing are the jobs that nobody but me notices you doing. Because those are the jobs that are going to lead people there. That's the thing. That's the thing. Man, I pray that we are not a group of people that are really okay with being served. But we don't want to get involved in it. So my advice to you, if you're like, man, I'd, I, would, I would do something, but I don't know what, is to start somewhere. Right? I've seen Jesus, and I want people to see Jesus, start somewhere. Don't wait till God gives you the ability to sing if you can't sing. He's already given you the ability to do something, right? Can you say good morning? Maybe that's where you start. Did everybody ever look at you and be like, you know what, you make amazing coffee. Maybe that's where you start. Maybe you are an introvert and you can't speak to people, but you can smile because that's your way to get people not to talk to you is just. <laughs> Let me just share something with you. Um, you can stand on the parking lot and do this. How many of you that was great this morning in the rain coming in to. Hey, glad you're here. It was for me. And that's sacrifice, right? That's the dirty job of, you know what? It's, it's not fun, is it? It ain't fun standing in the rain. Is it fun when it's seven degrees outside, standing out there and waving down cars? There's 40 parking spots. If you can't figure out where to park, we can't help you. Um, <laughs> but we never started doing it because you couldn't figure out where to park. We started doing it because, man, when you pull in the parking lot and somebody smiles at you, it's harder to leave. Man, I've sat in a parking lot in a church and talked myself out of going because it was the first time, and that was scary. You can't do that once somebody's like, glad you're here. No, I put people at the door because we want you to know before you walk in here, you're welcome in this place. Not because it's fun standing outside in the cold. Not because it's fun getting a sunburn on your right arm because you have the spot where the sun hits half of your body. But because we want you to know when you come in this place, you're welcome. You know why? Because if you feel like you're welcome when you come in here, when you come in this place, man, there's a barrier that's gone. You're not, I feel weird and they're judging me. You're, you know what? I might be able to worship today. Oh, I'm a mess. But they were happy that I'm here. And if that's God's people, if that's his representatives and they're happy that I'm here, man, maybe he's happy that I'm here. You know why we make coffee? Not because we just enjoy buying large amounts of coffee. Because there's people that come in this place that got off work two hours before they walk in this place. And we don't want you to miss it because you're too tired to wake up. What happens if somebody comes the first Sunday, they've never been to church before, they're broken, but they just got off work and then they fall asleep. And that could have been the moment, but that's not the moment. How is that job less important than this one? You know why we clean the bathrooms? Because it'd be gross if we didn't, but two, because... If you come into this place and it smells funny and looks funny, and why would you want to come back, right? The exact reason I don't use the bathroom at Taco Bell. Because nobody cleaned it for the past three weeks. I'm just kidding, probably. Sorry if you work there and you're listening online. But man, it's all about just tearing down barriers so people can get to him. That's what a God does. I've been up the mountain. I may not be a professional hiker, but I, I know the way, right? I may not be able to carry everything, but I can, I can walk you up this hill. 
I don't don't know where God has me to serve, but I know God has me to serve. So I'll just jump in somewhere because it's so important to me that everybody gets to see. Right? It's so important to me that everybody sees this is the God that served me and he wants to serve you. He came to serve you. Jesus came to this place, the one who breathed out the stars. He came to this place. He took off his robe a lot, and he laid it down, and he left heaven, and he stepped down into a manger, a place with filth. It laid him in a feeding trough. He grew up in a, in a poor home where people would have been talking about his mom and his dad possibly being involved in adultery. That's the life that Jesus grew up into. And at 12 years old, he wasn't thinking, poor, pitiful me. He was thinking, I'm going to stand in the temple and declare the glory of the Father because that's what I came for. I came that everybody got to see. And even as a 12-year-old, I can serve somebody. He grew up, we didn't even hear anything else about him for years, and then at 30 years old, he stepped out of carpentry into ministry, and he said, you know what? I can build beds, and I can breathe the universe. I think I got this. He became a homeless man, and he didn't go preach on big mega stages with lights all over him. He stepped down to the pool at Bethsaida, and he said, you know what? You've never walked before. Do you want me to serve you today? And that guy said, you know what, brother? I've just been waiting for somebody to come by and ask me that question. Yeah, I want to walk today. And Jesus said, man, it's lucky for you that I came to serve you. Get up and take up your bed and walk. And he said, man, I've never felt so good. And he rose and he rolled it up. Jesus came to serve, to seek, and to save. And all he said to us was, the servant is not greater than the master. I come to serve, and now I'm sending you to serve because it's in that service. It's in not volunteerism, but man, I've seen it and I'm blown away and I'm going to leverage everything just so somebody else might see it. It's in that moment where the world will be changed. I came for you. Now go for them. This morning, God is inviting us into that together. So there's the, I can't teach out there, I'm sure, and I can't sing out there, I'm sure. Well, that's great. Hallelujah. Amen. Because we just need people to stand at the door. We just need people that say, you know what? I see that there's a generation of people that are coming up that are being influenced by everything else. Go to school at, in kindergarten hearing about things that we wouldn't have thought of till high school or after maybe for some of us. And you have the opportunity to pour into that. I can't teach. Well, great. Go stand in there and hug kids one Sunday a month and say, I love you because Jesus loved you. I can't sing and change diapers for the glory of the Lord. Servant is not greater than the master. But man, he's invited us into greatness at the foot of the cross. Let's pray.